about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. first reading is Deuteronomy 32, verses 1 to 6. Listen to, you, listen to you, heavens, and I will speak. Hear you, earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. I praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. They are corrupt and not his children. To their shame they are a warped and crooked generation. Is this the way you repay the Lord, you foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? And the second reading is Philippians 2, verses 12 to 18. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your, your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfil his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let me say good morning again. Um, I hope you're having a... Uh, I hope you're surviving the, the, the chilly weather that's come through. Um, I think I misled CARES at staff meeting about the fire evacuation. Can we just have that slide up again? Is that possible to go back to the fire evacuation slide? Yeah, it's a while back. Sorry, guys. If you'll notice, that the meeting point according to this slide, and this is, the, is actually Camperdown Memorial Rest Park. So in the fire evacuation, we need to go out the Church Street gates, down the street 30 metres and into Camperdown Memorial Rest Park. Uh, I say that because it is just possible that we will have a fire drill at some point. Uh, so let's go back to the sermon slide. <clears throat> Let me pray again as we think about this next part of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Gracious God, you are at work 
You are not some removed, far-off God, inactive, but you are intimately involved in our lives and in the life of your people. Would you help us to see and to appreciate that extraordinary fact this morning, for Jesus' sake. Amen. One of the things that can happen in a business or in something like a law firm or an accountancy firm is that successful and valued employees reach a point where they are able to buy in. That is, they're able to purchase a share of the company and become part owners of it. It's a critical step because they go from being employees to partners. It's a decision to commit for the long term, to throw in your lot with the company and invest yourself in its success. An employee, even a very loyal one, is still different to a partner. They can leave at any time, whereas a partner leaving is a much more complex equation. So it's a big decision for someone to take. It comes at a cost, it involves real risk, and it closes down other options. But it can also be a freeing step, for it means you are now, you're now committed. You're not looking around anymore. You're free to give yourself to this enterprise with as much energy as you can. Well, the passage from Paul's letter to the Philippians that we're looking at this morning pushes us to ask a similar question about the Christian faith, our Christian faith and the church. For in this passage, Paul is essentially saying to the Philippian church that now is the time to step up. Now is the time for them to decide whether they are going to buy in or not. He urges them to take responsibility for this thing that they're a part of, to commit, to invest. Like an elderly boss of a company who's moving on, he invites those he's been training up over the years to step up, to take the reins and become partners. So let me begin today by flagging the big questions I think this passage asks of us. It asks us, where are we at on this spectrum? Have we bought in? Or are we still on the fence? Are we going to commit to step up, to become partners in Christian discipleship? Or are we, if we're honest, still considering our options? Okay, how does this passage ask us those questions? Well, let's look at it under four headings. They're printed on your outline there along with the reading. First, this passage tells us why we need to buy into Christian discipleship. That bit, just a warning, that will take us the longest. So don't freak out if halfway through the sermon we're only done point one. Next, it tells us about the shape of partnership. And then third, about the goal of partnership. And finally, it reminds us that partnership is an incredible privilege. First then, why should we buy into Christian discipleship? Well, in verse 12, Paul picks up from the amazing description of Christ's work that he has just set out, which we looked at last week. If you weren't here, do have a read of chapter 2 before this. And then he says, therefore, so then, he says, what are you going to do? Given these extraordinary things we know about Jesus, what are you going to do? Therefore, my dear friends, verse 12, as you have always obeyed, 
not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Paul is in prison, you remember. He is writing this letter to a church he loves dearly, but that he is now apart from and to which he may not return, though he hopes that he will. He urges them now to take the reins, to take up the task on their own without him there. He wants them to take ownership of their commitment to Jesus, to take responsibility for seeing it through. That's what I think he means, basically, by continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But I need to explain that phrase a bit more. The language of work out your salvation may feel a bit uncomfortable if we are used to the idea, and I hope you are used to this idea, that salvation is by God's grace. Is Paul now saying that salvation is our work, something that we accomplish? No, he isn't. But he is saying salvation is something that involves us. The distinction is fine, but critical. We need to slow down to go over it a little bit. So Paul is not saying, he's not saying that salvation is something we can achieve for ourselves under our own steam. He couldn't possibly be saying that. He has already said in this letter that it was God who began the good work in the Philippians and who will carry it through. That's in chapter 1, verse 6. And straight away here, he also says that God is at work in them even now. So he can't be saying that salvation is simply down, down to us, right? It's absolutely not that God gets us started towards salvation and then says, good luck, off you go, you're on your own now, like someone pushing a toddler off on a bicycle. No, God is at work in you, says Paul, both to will and to act. There is no part of our action that is to say that God is not involved in. Salvation is God's work from first to last. And it is our work as well. That is, it is something that involves us thoroughly, that demands our will and our activity. We are called to work out our salvation. By this, Paul doesn't mean that salvation is in the balance, that it's at risk. You might or might not be saved, he is telling them to work hard because salvation is not just a static thing that happens once and then is done with. It is a dynamic process that plays out in our lives. Salvation has two aspects, you see. It can be seen from two sides. On the one hand, those who believe in Jesus can say that they have been saved. Because salvation is something that is achieved for us in Christ. When God raised Jesus from the dead, he secured salvation once and for all. It's something that has happened in Christ. And so the, the Bible says you have been saved. On the other hand, salvation is something that is still happening to us now. We are being saved the Bible will say, even now, 
because by His Spirit, God is applying what He has done in Christ to us. He's sanctifying us, transforming us. That is the work that God has begun and will bring to completion. Again, chapter 1, verse 6, remember that verse. That is the great project of our lives that we are called to join in with all our energy. Friends, don't let yourself think that salvation is something accomplished and then forgotten about. It is accomplished and we receive it by faith, but we don't then forget about it. No, we get on with it. Faith becomes the starting point of a lifelong project. God is at work in your life, friends, and among us as a church. He is undertaking a grand, beautiful project. And this work involves you. You have to get on board. You have to buy into it. Take responsibility for it. Christ did not save you so that you could sit still and stay unchanged. He saved you so that his work could take place. That's also why Paul adds the words, with fear and trembling. His point is not that we all should be afraid that we will fail or scared of the consequences. No, his point is that we should recognize this incredible fact that what we're involved with in the, in the Christian life and, and, and with church, what we're involved with is nothing less than the work of God. Fear and trembling is a phrase that Paul uses actually a number of times to, to talk of kind of reverence for people or for a situation. He, he says, I came to you, to the Corinthians, with fear and trembling. It's a way of saying that you're kind of daunted by someone or a situation as if you've got to kind of take a gulp. And that's what Paul is saying our attitude should be towards the project of Christian discipleship. We should feel a bit daunted by it, a bit in awe of what we are undertaking. Why? Because God is at work. Because this really is God's project. The living God, the Lord of heaven and earth, who gives life and breath to all things, He is at work here in you, among us. Holy cow! Friends, let me ask you, what are you going to do about this? Are you going to muck around? Keep your options open. Reply, maybe attending. Or are you going to buy in? Step up. Commit. The only choice that makes sense is the latter. Because this is what God is doing. If you've been coasting in the Christian life, let this be the moment that you stop and you, you get to work with fear and trembling. It is extraordinary, this thing that we're involved in. Okay, well then, what does that look like? How do you get to work? Well, this is point two. The words that follow can easily feel like a bit of an anticlimax. Verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Don't grumble. Really? 
That's your punchline. That's what Paul is going to use his capital on. Why does Paul begin this way, though? Here we need to see something we might easily miss. When Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and that it is God who works in you, he's speaking not just, or probably not even mainly, to them as individuals, but to them as a group. The you is plural. He wants them to see that God is at work in them as a community, among them. And that makes what he says in verse 14 make a lot more sense, doesn't it? It's not a random jump, it's a really natural move. Because if what he's just told them to take seriously is that God is at work among them, then it makes perfect sense to talk straight away about their attitude to the community, doesn't it? Paul wants them to have fear and trembling, not just about God's work inside them as individuals, but about the fact that God is at work in the church. The grumbling and arguing that Paul has in his sights here are those that come when someone has not really registered or has forgotten what they're actually involved in. If you went to dinner with the Queen, you would not complain about how long the meal took. She might. You wouldn't. If you were invited to say a prayer at an Anzac Day service at Parliament House, you wouldn't grumble about how early it was or complain that you had to wear shoes. You and I have been invited to join God's work, His project of the salvation of His people. There may be many things that frustrate us about it. The timing may be bad, the microphone's problematic, the arrangement's awkward, the service a bit ordinary. The leadership may be disorganised or lacklustre, The kids talks, lame. The sermon's a bit long. There may be people you would rather not have to deal with. But our fundamental attitude surely must be that it is an incredible privilege to be here at all. Now, I hasten to say that this doesn't mean no complaints or arguments at all. Complaints and arguments are actually essential for the life of the church. Um, But there is a huge difference between questions and frustrations that come with care and consideration because they come from commitment and the grumblings of someone who doesn't really have much respect for this thing that they're a part of. Can I say that as your rector, I welcome your questions, your arguments, your complaints even, if they come from a place of commitment, which... Here, so far, they mostly do. I will generally ignore them if they seem to me to be unaccompanied by much recognition that God is at work here. What is your attitude to church, friends? Most of us will have frustrations about church. I've spent a lot longer as a member of churches than I have as a minister. I know what it is like when the communication is bad when people are inconsiderate, when the kids' ministry doesn't work for your kids. I know what it is like when important pastoral things are overlooked or when the priorities seem a bit off or when decisions are made you just don't agree with. Lauren and I have had plenty of those conversations 
on the way home from church. You know the ones? You do know the ones. But when you think of your complaints, the things that make you want to grumble, ask yourself this, have you really taken stock of what we are involved in here? Have you kept it in mind that this is where God is at work? This is not obvious. Church can easily seem banal. It can easily be banal. But it isn't really. The secret truth of church, of Christian community, of this Christian community, these people, is that God is involved in a grand, beautiful project. Let us stand in awe of that always. Our first instinct has got to be just to get on with this great thing that we are a part of without complaint. Not our only instinct, but our first instinct. Well, the words that follow remind us what this project is about. It's good that they're there. The goal of partnership... Do everything without grumbling or arguing, Paul writes, so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. This is what God is at work on in his church. His desire is that we grow in holiness, in brightness, There's no way around this language, by the way. God is moving us towards purity. He wants us to stand out in the world, to shine like stars. It's not a new idea, actually. Jesus said the same thing to his disciples. You are the light of the world, he said to them. So if we're grumpy about that, we've got to blame Jesus. That is actually our mission as a church, to grasp hold of the word of life that is the good news of Jesus Christ and let let it pull us up into new and better lives that stand out to those around us. The gospel is like a rope lowered to us as we were sinking in mud. If we hold on to it, we will be pulled up out of the muck and others will want to grab on. Don't you think that's a beautiful vision of what church is supposed to be? What church is meant to be? I think it's beautiful. I say meant to be, though, because, of course, we don't always manage it. Christians are not always very different from the world around us, and sometimes we fail in our own specially ugly ways. That is a tragedy and sometimes an outrage. It is also a reminder that this vision of church cannot be taken for granted. It cannot become a source of pride, this vision. We can't sit back and go, we are shining like stars. doesn't work like that. This is a vision that asks for our full commitment. It's something we must invest in, aspire to, pray for, hope for. And it's worth those things, don't you think? Imagine, won't you, if if that's what we really were to the world around us. If that's what you were at your workplace or among the school people you, you know. 
Imagine if this is how people thought of Christians. It's worth your partnership, don't you think? Finally, on this point, let's notice again that this is something we can only do together. That's why it's connected to what Paul says about not grumbling. Did you notice the connection? It's a weird connection unless you think about it, right? Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure. What that means is that holiness is not something we do on our own. It is something we need one another for, which is why it requires us to pull together to make it happen. The steps we need to take, the challenges we each will face, they are tough. And we need each other to face them. Brothers and sisters, do you see what this is saying? It is saying that when you deny this community your partnership, your commitment and investment, you're not just standing in the way of some church thing, you're standing in the way of others' holiness. You are impeding other people's growth in faith and discipleship. We need one another to grow towards holiness and to bear witness in the world. Don't get in the way of that, please. Please. Well, the end of our passage finally reminds us of the privilege of partnership. Paul returns to speaking of himself, and again here, there is a feeling of the old boss moving on and handing over to those who are stepping up after him. Second half of verse 16. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is facing death as a very real prospect. He doesn't know for sure if that's what, a, what is ahead, but it might be. But even if it is, does he have regrets? Not at all. I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Glad is a bit of a lame translation. You're glad it isn't raining. You're glad you made the right choice at fishbowl. Paul is not just glad, he rejoices. Fishbowl, sorry, that's a restaurant over there if you don't know it. And, and it's just, the menu is just impossibly overwhelming. And so if you make the right, when I make the right choice, I feel glad. But that's, that's not, Paul's saying something more than this. He, he rejoices. The Greek actually repeats the word. It says, I rejoice and rejoice with you. Paul rejoices even though his life is ending, it looks like, in shame and disaster. Why? Because he has had the extraordinary privilege of being involved in God's project, of running and working hard for the good pleasure of God that will one day fill heaven and earth. What a privilege it is to be involved in the mission of God in the life of the church. I remember being deeply struck by this when I was about 21. I was driving over the Harbour Bridge on the way back to a mission week I was part of with the Sydney Uni Evangelical Union, the Christian group I was part of at Sydney Uni. And we were doing exciting things like door knocking and scripture assemblies. 
The clouds were beautiful as they often are in the evening over the bridge and I remember being moved to tears just by the thought of what an extraordinary privilege it was to be involved in this work, able to give my energies to what God is doing in the world. Will you put your hand to the work? Will you keep putting your hand to the work? From a rhetorical point of view, that is the right place to end this sermon. But I think it would be remiss of me if I didn't take one small further step and quickly say something about how to do this here if you want to. If you want to buy in, how can you do this here at Newtown Erskineville Anglican? Some of you are, will already be doing these things, and I thank God for it, but the best starting point is four things. Come, stay, give, and serve. Come. Come to church every week if you can. Not everyone can. We get that. Folks have shift work, family responsibilities, health concerns. We get it. But when you can come, do. It's critical. It encourages others. It helps us move forward. Who knows if the week you decide you can't be bothered is the week when there was a new person who needed someone to talk to that would have been you. Or the week that that friend needed someone to share with that would have been you. Come. And stay. If you can, stay. Don't just come for a few months or a year, or even a few years, if you can, stay. Of course, people sometimes have to move. That's normal and not a problem. We love to send people on to new things. But we also desperately need some people to stay for the long haul. We will not grow and move forward as a church if some of us don't keep digging in. We're so indebted to those who have. Perhaps this is your calling here. Thirdly, give, give some of your money. Jesus said, our hearts are where our money is. This is a paraphrase, but that's what he said. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. One of the best ways to buy in is just to do it literally. When you're invested in mission, it will change the way you engage. We'll come back to this in Philippians. I won't go on about it now, but it's the way to buy in. And there are giving details. There's a website you can use on the back of your sheet. And finally, serve. Find a way to contribute to the ministry here, whether small or great. Finding this is often not that easy, right? Finding a way to serve takes time and it can be a bit frustrating, but be patient. We will get there. Find your way into service. We would love to talk to you about how. Brothers and sisters, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For God is at work in you. Let's pray. Lord, what a privilege it is to share in your work, to give life to the world through your Son, Jesus Christ, and the life that is in him. We pray that you would fill our hearts with a desire, our minds 
with the knowledge to make it happen, our wills with the energy to give ourselves to this work in partnership for the gospel. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.